Uh, we're going to do a little bit of audience participation. So I'm going to ask you your opinion and I'm going to ask you to throw your hand up when what I say applies to you. All right. If you're online, you're like, hey, you're not going to be able to see me because because uh, I'm online. Well, what I want you to do is just type your answer into the chat and we're just going to we're going to do a case study. It's a it's a social experiment, if you will. All right. Let's talk about ice cream. One of my favorite subjects in all the world. Uh, if, if your favorite, um, if, if we're choosing between chocolate and vanilla ice cream, all right, what, which one would you prefer? If you would prefer vanilla like Jesus does, why don't you raise your hand? All right, very good. All right, so that's a good portion of you. All right, drop your hands. All right, uh, uh, online folks, chocolate or vanilla, right? All right, in the room, chocolate, if chocolate is your favorite. I don't know, man, some of y'all voted twice. I don't think you understand how this goes. All right, you got to pick one. All right, all right. And so and someone inevitably is going to throw out Rocky Road, right? Um, yeah, this is this is not a dialogue. This is a sermon. Um, all right. So so what about uh, let, let's let's go into music. How about how about jazz music? If jazz music is your favorite kind of music, three of you, fantastic. All right. All right. What about what about uh, what about classic rock? <laughs> Me too. I can't lie. All right. All right. What about? All right. Let's let's do the Christian answer. What about what about what about contemporary Christian music? All right. Very good. All right. Um, what about what about classical music? You like like Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, all the all the goods. All right. All right. Good. Uh, very good. All right. I like it. I like it. All right. Um, all right. Let's let's move into a, a different kind of food. All right. Your favorite kind of food. How about barbecue? People like barbecue. Raise your hands because you've never had my barbecue. All right. We'll try to change that one day. All right, all right, what about um, uh, what about what Chinese food? We have Chinese food. Your favorite is your China. All right, all right. So I'm going to allow this to be my resignation to you this morning. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I cannot be the interim pastor of a church where only three people like Chinese food. All right, uh, what about uh, what about just a good old fashioned hamburger? You're just a hamburger guy, you know? Like, yeah, okay. My best friend in the world, his uh, his favorite hamburger is plain. He likes, he likes a piece of meat between two pieces of bread. And I'm like, you are the most boring person on the planet. You know what I noticed? Ain't nobody in this room. We, we were not unanimous on anything. All right? And I'm sure that online you're probably the same way. Look in the chat. Look at, at the different answers. We are all different people. We have a great crowd this morning. I'd love to see you all. My, my hope is that now that the kiddos are going back to school, uh, that, uh, that, that we're going we're gonna to see a lot more faithfulness to church attendance, being a part of body life in the church. But the problem is, is that how, how can we talk about biblical unity when we can't agree on ice cream? How, how, do we, how do we talk about unity when we can't agree on the kind of music that we like? How can, we, how can we agree, how can we live in biblical unity if we can't agree on, on whether or not Chinese food is the best food, which it really is? <laughs> how can we expect, on things that are so trivial, how can we expect, if we can't agree on the things that are just so trivial, how can we ever expect to agree on the things that are important? The things that really are important. And yes, I know, Chinese food is important. How can God possibly expect us to agree on everything when we can't really agree on anything? There's a difference in biblical unity and just regular unity. Biblical unity comes from, we looked at this last week, it's, it's the dunamis. When Jesus, 
When Jesus resurrected, when he ascended to heaven after 40 days, 40 days after the, the stone was moved and Jesus gloriously rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. And right before he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says that it's that power that not only resurrects people from the grave, it is that power that also gives us the ability to discern how are we going to live in unity, even though, even though we're different. And if you want to know that some of us are different, look at how, look at how, how differently we're all dressed today. I'm, I'm wearing my favorite color, a, a mixture of black and gray. It's slimming, they tell me. My wife is wearing orange. Some of you are wearing pinks. I see lime green. I see coral, like ish, salmon colors. I see blues. We didn't all, there, there's not uniform. Unity in the, in, in the body of Christ does not mean uniformity on everything. So how are we going to agree? How are you going to agree to vote for your next lead pastor? How, how are you going to agree on, on what missions that we do as a church? How are you going to agree on, on the, the, the important things that matter? Well, first of all, church, you have to figure out what's important. And so as Paul is writing to the church at Rome, he, he shares with them some principles that, that will guide them as they try to figure out what's important because the church was brand new. It was only, it was only you know, a couple decades old at this point. And he shares with them some principles. And church, let me tell you, if we're going to live in the culture we live in, and we, we've spent some time over the last several weeks looking at how divisive and divided our culture is, that if we are going to live in a world that cannot get it right, because let me tell you where you cannot go to figure out how to live in unity, out there. We've got to go to the scriptures. It's the one thing that teaches us, that guides us in how to live a life that is pleasing to God and is edifying for the, the body. So why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, read um, Romans chapter 14? It, today is, is, is really about Romans chapter 14 and 15, but we're not going to have time to get to everything. So, so y'all are going to need to, when, as you leave today, y'all are going to need to read uh, the end of chapter 14 and all of chapter 15 because it's all applicable. We're going to spend our time in the first nine verses of chapter 14. So let's read together. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, look, I know we're Southern Baptists, and I know, I know we, one of our favorite words is quarrel, all right? But, but we, we got to look past all of that. He says, he says, the one who's weak in faith, the new one, the newbie, all right, the ones that we're going to baptize tonight, the ones who, 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 who don't have uh, the amount of time in body life, those who are, are still figuring it out, he says, welcome them but not to quarrel over, over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If you have a highlighter or you asterisk or you write, you know, it's, it, Jesus says it's okay to write in your Bible, okay? All right, and I, I would encourage you, mark it up. 
I, I love reading through my mom's Bible. Her Bible is just, is marked up from cover to cover. So if you're comfortable underlining, highlighting, asterisking, if you would do that with, with that question that Paul asked the church, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? He said, it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Amen. That's a great place to amen. Um, he says, one person esteems, verse five, uh, esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Today's big idea is this. And church, we, we got to figure this out. This isn't one of those principles that we're just going to say we're going to agree to disagree on. Because churches can't do that. Not, not here. We can, we can agree to disagree on the kind of music we like. We can agree to disagree on, what, on how we are to dress to go to church. We can agree to disagree on what version of the Bible we preach from or the version of the Bible we read from or what we call Sunday school or life groups or connect groups or D groups or you know whatever you want to call it. We can disagree on that stuff, but church, we cannot disagree on the issue of biblical unity. Because if we cannot figure biblical unity out when everything's good, and quite honestly, today, everything's kind of good. I mean, I didn't, I didn't walk in this morning and, and watch you watch a fist fight breaking out into church. Today's a good day. And unfortunately, sometimes in church polity, that's the marker of a good day. But if we can't agree to live in biblical unity when we all kind of like each other today, how is it going to go when, 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 when something arises within church body life that causes us tension? We must agree on these things. So how do we agree? How do we figure it out? Well, we, we see it clearly. Verses 1 through 4 tell us that for biblical unity to happen in the church, we, you and me, we must decrease. Remember last week, I shared a, a quote from, uh, from Pastor Rick Warren. He, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Okay? We, we must understand where we are coming from, where we're living. The, and if you look at, at, at verse 1, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. All right, let's stop there. That, that idea of just welcoming someone, you know, a lot of times in, in church work, in church life, in church body life, if, if we don't know your name, what do we do? We, we extend the right hand of fellowship. You generally grab the arm. That's the Baptist way, right? Good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. You know, you may have been just talking about their family out in the parking lot. But when you walk in in the hallowed grounds, right, when you, just like Moses, when you take your shoes off for this is holy ground, you know, all of a sudden, good morning, brother. Like, almost like Hulk Hogan-like, right? <laughs> brother, what are you going to do, brother, right? I mean, 
You know, it, it's like something in us changes. We, we know, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know how to be welcoming. Even though by the time you hit the parking lot, you know, do you see the way she was dressed today? I cannot believe she wore that to church, et cetera, et cetera. Man, nobody laughed. It's a, it's a guilty conscience is what it is, right? We, church, church, we do, that's what, that's what happens. Let's don't pretend that we are better than we are. All right. We are all sinners that God is, is molding into his likeness, but we ain't there yet. The word welcome that you see in verse 1 means to warmly embrace. And let me tell you, if I don't like you, I can shake your hand and welcome you to church, but I'm probably not going to pull you in for, the, for the, the Christian hug, right? I'm not going to greet you with a holy kiss. Paul's talking to church, a reminder that church said, if we are in the family of God, we aren't just friends. We're family. We're going to spend eternity together, whether we like it or not. The Greek here is, it, the structure is specific. It's, it's what's known as a present imperative, which may mean nothing to you. But when you see an imperative in scripture, it's just like the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That's not the imperative. There's an assumption you're going to go. He says, go and make disciples. That, that imperative, the command that Jesus is put, places upon the believer is that we are going to make disciples. All participles after that, all right, for you English majors, right? Teaching, baptizing them, you know, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, right? All of those things. Paul offers a, an imperative here, welcome them. But it's not just a welcome where it's like, all right, I'm going to welcome this person into the family of God just once, and then I'm going I'm to move on to the next one. It's a continual action. Church, understand how, how this works. The process of welcoming someone who is new into the faith should start and then continue until it continues in heaven means even if we don't agree on everything, in church, we're not going to agree on everything. Let's don't, let's don't pretend like we're going to get to a place where we can go, whoo, we got that all done. He says, for the one who is weaker in their faith, the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but, but not to quarrel over opinions. The NIV, which I grew up on, uh, renders it a little bit different. He ref they, uh, Paul refers to it in the NIV as, as disputable matters. I like that, that phrase a little, that phraseology a little bit better. Let's talk about disputable uh, matters. There are, are two types of issues that we face within the church. Some of them are open-handed issues. Open-handed issues are things that we just kind of like, okay, you know, you know, I, I can do with or, with or without. Some things in Scripture, we believe when we read them, they are closed-handed issues. So what are closed-handed issues? Salvation by grace through faith. No man comes to the Father except through the broken body, the shed blood, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, that is the only way. All right, it, this is not a Disney movie. All roads don't lead to heaven. That is not how this works. All right, and so we hold these things with a closed hand. They're not, they're not debatable. And you can debate them, but you're not going to change my mind. Okay, there are certain things that are closed-handed, right? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all. All right, there is nothing that, that can change my mind because the scriptures are clear. 
If something that I do causes a brother or sister to, to stumble in their faith, especially if in like in verse one, we see the, the, the weaker, uh, someone who is weaker in their faith. They haven't been in the faith this long. They're, it's not, they're, they're not matured in their faith. If something that I do, if something they see me do causes them to stumble church, that's sinful. We should not be about the business of causing brothers and sisters to stumble. And we cannot take a laissez-faire mentality over that. Because, folks, if you are, are more mature in your faith, your job in the local church should be to take those who are weaker in their faith and help build them up and disciple them so they are stronger, not tear them down. Living peaceably among one another. When we live peaceably among one another, when, when the outside world, when the lost world sees a church living peaceably amongst each other, we proclaim the gospel. It just is what it is. Another close-handed issue. Things like sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexual practices, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, swindling are all things that are incompatible with the kingdom of God. You're not going to convince me otherwise. The culture is not going to convince me that, that I, can, I can balk or that I can compromise on those things because the scriptures are clear that they're incompatible with the word of God. But, but what, what are some open-handed issues? What are things that we hold loosely and that may be debatable? Well, who's going to sit at Jesus' right and left hand? All right. Remember, remember, James and John really wanted those spots, and their mother really wanted those spots. Okay, but Jesus says, who, who are you to ask that? that? That's Quite honestly, that's none of your beeswax. When Jesus is going to return in relation to world history... I had to preach a sermon one time. Uh, the day I remember, a, a, a professor named Harold Camping decided that in that on November twenty second, twenty eleven, that Jesus was going to come back. The problem was I was preaching at Fruit Cove on November the twenty third, so I had to prep a message that I might never have gotten to preach. So I titled the message just in case. So you get all of, all of these people that are on the Christian channel at 2.30 in the morning and they're going to tell you this is when Jesus comes back so you need to give to our ministry so that we can proclaim the gospel until Jesus comes back. Don't do that. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And quite honestly, it doesn't matter. He's sovereign. He'll come back when he wants to. It doesn't matter who, who moderates business meetings. It doesn't matter uh, whether or not the uh, drums in the church are of the devil. And you're going to laugh about that. There are people that actually think that. Doesn't matter what version of the Bible I preach from. I preach from ESV. It's not what I grew up with, but it's, really, it's a really good translation. You may have NIV in your lap. You may have NASB in your lap. You may have NLT in your lap. You may have another combination of letters in your lap. If it's the word of God, roll with it. And on and on. Some things we hold with a closed hand, but some things, church... We just can't die on hills that Jesus chooses not to die on. And so the problem is, is that, that in the process of us decreasing, our mindset has to change. When everything in the church is a priority, what really is? Nothing, right? There are things 
in Scripture that Jesus is unbelievably clear and speaks to. Those are our close-handed issues. Some things he just leaves open to interpretation a little bit. Or there are some things that he is completely silent on. And so you know what we do? And this is really the book of Galatians, and maybe I'll get the chance to preach through that uh, sometime with, with you. But this idea that, that, if, that if we take what Jesus says and then we add to it or what Jesus has chosen to remain silent on and, we, and then we say, well, then we're going to fill in the gaps on God's behalf. Church, that's dangerous. And that's what leads us down the road to fundamentalism, leads us down the road to legalism. There are some things that God in his sovereignty has chosen not to elaborate on or that he remains silent with altogether. And, and church, understand that the scriptures are divinely worded for a reason. We don't get to add to that which the Lord has chosen to remain silent. Galatians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the process of us decreasing looks like this. That there, we have to come to the realization that church, there are certain things we're just never going to agree on. Like vanilla ice cream. Some of y'all just need to get saved. That's all it is. But what is important, church, is that, and, and let me tell you. This is, so, this is such a big deal in an interim time because, because you don't have that, that, while I am your interim pastor, there's a good chance that in the next 10 to 15 years, you're not going to see me. So when your next pastor comes in, y'all need to be decided on what things are, are closed-handed about. And church, the things that we're closed-handed about are the things that scripture is closed-handed about. And a pastor walks in to true biblical unity. Because church, we're gonna figure out something. When we get to heaven, some things that probably should have been open-handed that we are closed-handed about, we're gonna to get to heaven and look back and go, that really just didn't matter. And I don't want us to be that. I don't want that to happen to us. So we are closed-handed on things that Paul calls issues of first primacy. Verses 2 and 3, the Roman Christians had, had become partisan. In the midst of them just trying to figure out what's open-handed and what's closed-handed, they had, they had become broken. Their unity had become broken. And so some people in the church felt they felt a, a freedom in Christ to eat all, the, all these kinds of foods that in the Old Covenant were, were, uh, were restricted, right? And we talked about the Levitical laws a little bit last week. And so we don't, we don't know if it was just food restrictions like this. We, it, it's unclear. But what, what new Christians that came into the church found was that they, there may have been a, a certain temptation while eating meat. And so they chose to give up those things that may, may have reminded them of their pre-Christian life. Some, some Christians who had, had always worshipped God in on, only on the required Jewish holy days may have felt that, that kind of hollow feeling when they, were just go, when, they were, when they were Israelites or Jews and just going through the motions and they chose to put away the old ways and adopt new ways because it gave them a certain freshness in the spirit. 
Verses two and three, he says, one person who believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Church, the way we worship God individually may be different than the way we worship God corporately. But if it glorifies God, who cares? The way you practice your prayer life may be different than the person you're seated next to. The way you read the scriptures may look different than the way than, than your, your life group leader. The problem in the Roman church was that the, the strong Christians were looking down on the weaker ones. And the weak believers would condemn or would judge the strong. And, and church, this the Roman church was caught up in the sins of pride and legalism and judgmentalism. And so Paul reminds them, look at verse four, Paul reminds them that as servants of God, while we on this earth hold one another accountable, our fi the final judgment will not come from anyone in this room. It will come from the Lord himself. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul quotes Jesus when he says, wherever you are, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That in, in verse 4, where he says the Lord is the one who is able. That word able is the same word that Jesus used in Acts 1-8 when he says you will receive power. Church, it is the power of God that makes us able to stand when we are weak. When we all rely on the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, he is the one that makes us able to stand. And so church, we have a freedom in conscience. But we should be careful not to influence weaker brothers and sisters who may stumble and violate their conscience. If we're going to take on the likeness of Christ, if we're going to live as an extension of the Lord here in this community, we must take the differences in our, individ in our individuality and come together in unity so the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do we do that? First, we decrease. And secondly, Jesus must increase. We're all at different places in our spiritual journeys. Whether you've been a believer for eight days, eight months, or 88 years, the Lord looks upon you the way he looks upon his son. We are justified in Christ, being sanctified in the spirit. I'm, and I, I'm reminded of, of a story of of. Two of England's greatest preachers, my personal favorite, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. They were the best of friends. They, they ministered in two of the largest churches in all of England. Yet one day, Joseph Parker went and visited one of the orphanages that Spurgeon's church had, had started. Charles Spurgeon had a, a passion for orphans. And so, so he, uh, he opened this orphanage. And so Joseph Parker was walking with a group of people through one of the orphanages. And, and he, he made a, a passing comment of the conditions in this particular orphanage. And there were a couple people from, uh, from a newspaper who were, uh, who were following them around. And they furiously scribbled on the piece of paper uh, the quote that, that Parker had made. And so the next Sunday, it, or the next Saturday, it hit the newspaper. 
And Spurgeon reads the quote from his good friend. While there's no texting or Instagram or Facebook Messenger, uh, Spurgeon does the best thing he can do to respond to this perceived quote from his dear friend. He gets up in the pulpit and proceeds to blast them. How long do you think it took before the rumor mill got started? Parker gets up, Joseph Parker gets up in the pulpit the next Sunday and responds with grace and suggested that the church give an offering to the orphanage. They wanted to know, the people wanted to know, like just like the, the tabloid papers you see at the checkout counter at Publix. They wanted to know, how was Spurgeon going to respond? Can you, can you imagine how the cause of Christ looked with these two wonderful men of God, these two fantastic preachers? Can you imagine how things looked to people that didn't have context? Spurgeon gets up into the pulpit this next, uh, next Sunday. And he responds with grace. And through it, everyone saw the love of Christ. Church, can I tell you, everyone gets it wrong from time to time. The problem with Spurgeon and Parker was that nobody really won. Nobody won the beef. The cause of Christ looked poorly. And church, when we cannot come together and understand that we must decrease, that Jesus must increase, and we allow ourselves to get into the flesh and allow the petty differences that we have that are open-handed issues that don't matter a hill of beans. The cause of Christ looks bad. Verse 5 shows us that each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. We're not, we're not supposed to automatically adopt the convictions of others, church, but instead allowing the Spirit of God to work through us that we are to develop our own minds as we commit to live for God alone. And even though we're not going to agree on every issue, we should agree on the big issues, have you ever disagreed with someone in the church? Maybe it's your life group leader. Maybe it's, maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's me. And you've heard someone that, that something says, and have you ever just walked out and just said, I wonder if that person's even a Christian? You're going, no, I would never do that. We're not Catholic, so we don't offer a confession chamber. Maybe in the quietness of your own seat, maybe you ask God to forgive you right now, right? You ever wondered... You ever wondered aloud in your mind? Have you ever said, I just don't think so-and-so is very scriptural. Scriptural. They're not terribly spiritual. Since he or she doesn't see this, the things the way that I do, there must be some kind of unrepentant sin in their life. Church, there's a difference in judgment and accountability. Here's, and and there, there should be a slide on the, on the screen that... That shows us the difference in judgment and accountability. Church, we are not to be one another's judge. Judge says, says, I'm better than you, so get your act together. God has the authority to say that. God is perfect. God is the only one. The Godhead is the only one that meets the standard of heaven. So he can say, follow me. But church, you and I don't have the ability to do that. And accountability basically says, we're all messed up. But I love you too much to allow you to stay here. Church, when, 
Verses 6 and 7 shows us that when we are justified in Christ, we don't work for our salvation. We work out of the abundance of our salvation. So where the Jews of old would, would eat or abstain from certain foods to appease or even to please God, we now, church, as the body of Christ, we now do everything out of our motives that God should be glorified in us, not just in our work, but also in our thought processes. So the bottom line is this. How do we live, church? How do we live in accountability to one another? How do we live in unity with one another? It means that we're using the same metric to decide where, what direction as believers we're going to go. Uh, growing up, I played sports. I love playing sports. I played football, baseball, basketball. I was on the swim team, if you can believe that. That was about 200 pounds ago. Um, I, I, I just loved, I love competition. I love being the best, okay? Um, but I also, growing up, I also, uh, in, in eighth grade, I took up an instrument, started playing, started playing in band. I'd like to show you, um, step out of the light here for a second. I am a, I'm a saxophone player. And I grew up, um, starting in eighth grade, I grew up playing in band. It's how I got Allie to fall in love with me, right? I started playing her Kenny G music. Hey, look, I don't have his hair, and I certainly don't have his talent, but I love, I love playing. I love the unity that comes from one band, one sound. Um, I'm not going to play for you today because it's been a while, but it makes a great prop. Um, unity in the body of Christ looks a lot like an orchestra. And we have a photo we'd like to put up on, on the screen that shows us. This is actually uh, the wind ensemble from Douglas Anderson School of the Arts. Uh, just right around the corner. And um, what I love about, about an orchestra is one thing you don't see is you don't see the, well, you can't tune flutes, all right? My wife is a flute player. You, you just can't tune flutes, right? Um, you, you know, if, if the flutes all got together and they, and they tuned to all the flutes, good luck, by the way. If, uh, if all the clarinets got together and they tuned, right? You got to be in tune or else the, sa- the sound is not going to be good. If all the saxophones got together and they, all, and they all tuned together and the tubas all got together and they tuned to their individual uh, uh, instruments and then they all came together and you, you raise up your instruments and you play the first downbeat. I was the drum major of Middleburg High School's marching band my senior year. And so, you know, it, 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 you, know you come together and you, you play that first downbeat. It should be this beautiful cacophony of, of sounds that come together to make a chord. Sometimes it ain't that. If the individual instruments are tuning to their own section, it's not going to be a unified sound. So generally the first clarinetist, the first, clar- first chair clarinet player will stand up and will play a note. And everyone in the, in the orchestra will tune to one note. And when the band comes together, and they play that downbeat, it sounds like one sound. Church, can you imagine what would happen if we as the church, we didn't tune our hearts to our life group leaders? We didn't tune our hearts to the pastor. But if we tune our lives to 
to the Lord Jesus, you know what happens? Our desires naturally decrease as our desires become what his desires are for us. The one to whom we tune our lives is Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Fort Caroline Baptist Church, what would happen if we spent our lives individually tuning to Christ, that when we came into the room together, we might be unified in spirit. What a picture that would be of the gospel. And the world would see there's something different about this room. Father, we love you and we praise you. God, as we leave this place, as we, as we go to our life groups this morning, as we live in unity, Father, may the world see in us that which it does not see in itself. And that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And may they respond in salvation today as we are the hands and feet of the risen Christ. If we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Folks, as we leave today, maybe God has stirred your heart and you realize that you don't live in unity with Christ. Back in the back, there's gonna be some people in our, in our next steps area in the back of the room. Please go, go talk to one of our counselors. Come see me down at the front. I would love to tell you more about what a life in Christ looks like. We'll see y'all tonight out of the baptisms. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your day.